Hey everyone, today's book is The Space Between Worlds, which is probably what you call outer space if you believe in energy healing. It's by Micaiah Johnson. <laughs> I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and to me, this story could have been renamed. The space between this book and a book I actually want to read is too long. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm David Vance. This book is a much better version of the first sci-fi story I wrote as a kid, where everything with a face comes alive and is evil, so a girl gets absolutely <laughs> walloped by her reflection. The Space Between Worlds is a sci-fi story where you can visit other universes, but only if the parallel you is dead. It's a big hit with people who absorbed their twin in the womb. And this is The Book Pile. All right, if you love sci-fi books about the multiverse and the cosmos, we encourage you to be like the constellation Cassiopeia and give us five stars. <laughs> There's a new joke I'm working on where I say that the only constellations that make sense are the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. Because <laughs> nothing else looks like it's shaped. Like every other constellation should just be called Trapezoid with a Stick in it. <laughs> <laughs> L. Rome 04 says, perfect for book nerds and people who love to laugh. If you're neither of those things, then you can just continue on with your miserable life. <laughs> it starts as a compliment and ends with her shiving people. <laughs> All right, I'm going to be performing in Carlsbad, California this Friday, February 4th. Also, if you want to see me live and you don't have your Valentine's Day plans yet, I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon at Helium Comedy Club, February 14th. That's right. It's a Monday, a normal date to go see comedy. <laughs> go to KellenErskine.com for tickets. For extra, Kellen will pretend to let you beat him up in front of your date. <laughs> Finally, our next book is The Hunger Games. Eat fresh. <laughs> the Hunger Games, which is what I call the game, is DoorDash going to get here in 20 minutes or 75 minutes? <laughs> so I just hate it when it does that. When it's like 5 o'clock and it says, it'll get here between 5.30 and 5.35. And then it's like 5.45 and 5.50. And then it's like 7 o'clock. It's like, I what is happening at this restaurant? Is the floor, like, extra slippery? <laughs> Kellen keeps ordering from the Three Stooges Bistro. His dasher is Charlie Chaplin. Stop ordering pies. All right. And without further ado... Here are four lessons that we took from The Space Between Worlds. Lesson one, we love power reversals, which is probably how Tesla pitched alternating current. <laughs> so the, the main idea of this book is, is fascinating because the scientists find parallel universes, but you can only go there if the you there is already dead, which is why I think Michael Jordan should have to fight Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> So these, these rich scientists who discover it are alive everywhere, so they can't travel. But our protagonist can, because she's dead on most worlds. So she becomes valuable because the world thought she was trash. 
So she says, they needed trash people, poor black and brown people, people somehow on the wrong side of the wall. Of the 380 Earths with which we can resonate, I'm dead in 372. I'm not a scientist. I'm just what they're stuck with. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's how my girlfriend's parents feel about me being a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, I don't know the psych behind it. But I think we love the the power reversal story because like half of YA novels are about a kid being told they're worthless in some way and then having to prove they're not. <laughs> the author also said that she based the love interest, Dell off of Mr. Darcy. And that's the biggest power reversal because Darcy has all the power because of his money and status. But then he falls in love with Lizzie. So now she has all the power. So he has to pretend to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine your friend Lizzie Bennett. Is like, yeah, this guy didn't want me and he was super rude, but now he thinks I'm way hot and he's been so much nicer. <laughs> you would never tell her to marry him. So I read that too, that she based that character Dell on Mr. Darcy, but if I hadn't read that, I would not have known that. <laughs> like, would you have okay. guessed, you know, what, what else is it about her other than she's like broody? <laughs> I can see it structurally in the sense that they start out in a standoffish place and there's like tension there, but it doesn't look like things are going to happen. And then you reach a point where it's like, oh, there was a major misunderstanding. There actually is chemistry here and they end up together. So structurally, I can see it. Okay. But no, it's not like she lives on 50,000 pounds a year or has like a giant manor. <laughs> there's an ongoing battle between my siblings and me and my mom about whether the 2005 Darcy is hot. <laughs> Our big victory was we got her on tape to admit that he can be attractive from like a certain perspective. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the ultimate test, it's like those people who argue about the lottery and you're like, Hey, the jackpot this week is 90 million. And there's always that person who's like, yeah, but do you know how much they take from taxes? <laughs> is it really like, yeah, certainly an amount that I would turn down? <laughs> right. And that's what I want to know. Like, if face-to-face, -face, you're with the 2005 Darcy, and he wants to make out. Would you be like, no, <laughs> I don't think you're that hot? <laughs> I would just for the 50,000 pounds. <laughs> Anyway, I love the way this book flips those tables. Maybe your girlfriend could use that to her advantage and to her parents. She could be like, it's okay. Dave is dead on 390 other worlds. <laughs> this is actually one of the better outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lesson two. Interesting is subjective. So it's <laughs> it's funny to me that this book deals with parallel universes because to me this current situation is uh, an opposite universe of how each of us felt about The Martian <laughs> which is an episode that we did where I thought The Martian was a fascinating sci-fi problem-solving story and you thought that it was a one-dimensional sci-fi problem-solving story. <laughs> I admitted in The Martian that the only person who had sort of a personality was the main character, and everyone else was the same. Uh, people in this book, they do have more personalities. I just didn't care about any of them. <laughs> 
honestly a little stumped because I, I can usually pinpoint why a book isn't interesting to me, but I'm not exactly sure what the case was here. I just had a hard time getting through it. Um, it is it's well written enough though it, even though the char- main characters are like in their 20s it does feel more like a YA novel at times like I wouldn't have been surprised if I found out that the author was the CW network <laughs> but I I think that for me personally the the difference between this and the Martian or like the three body problem is that it may have deeper characters than those books do. The science fiction part of it is more in the background. It's not explained. And I enjoy a science fiction story where the science is a real part of it. Like, you know, how we we don't roll our eyes at the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park because Michael Crichton explains it in a way where we're like, I think that we could probably make dinosaurs using this book. Sure. You know, he's so realistic about it that it becomes that much more fascinating to me. So you need a pretty big sigh and not as big of a fie. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, like the space between worlds, the premise is more like we discover that there really is a multiverse and we can travel between worlds. That's it. Anyway, once upon a time, there was a person traveling between worlds. That's the whole the whole thing. My favorite thing is that every once in a while, one of the two of us says, hey, I really like this book. I want you to read it. And then we find out the day of that this is going to be half a roast in front of thousands of <laughs> listeners. <laughs> That's true. I think we have a pretty good batting average. Yeah, but this one was a strike for me. <laughs> I think it's also hard because this multiverse genre is starting to become saturated, so it doesn't feel as novel anymore. That's because we're in the universe with a lot of multiverse novels. (laughs) (laughs) Like in Rick and Morty, they just go to some of the craziest universes. In there, I don't even care so much about the explanation. It's just so wild that it's entertaining. Where like There's a world where everything is corn-shaped. There's a universe where house hunters are people who actually track, shoot, and kill houses. <laughs> or even a universe as dumb and simple as a world where chairs are sentient and they sit on people. <laughs> anyway. If I wanted to win this argument in the cheap Twitter way, I'd be like, oh, so you just don't like stories about women? <laughs> so I will. Oh, so no. you just don't like stories about... <laughs> you know how much... I- I admired Big Little Lies, so you can't pull that on me. I'm really not here to to roast it. It it definitely isn't lame. It just didn't hold my particular interest. If I could give the author some advice, though, it would be add more chair people. (laughs) You really can't go wrong in any genre with that. (laughs) Give me one story that doesn't get better with a sentient chair person. The Mancharian candidate. <laughs> <laughs> they don't notice that their son comes home from war, brainwashed, and a chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson three. We probably underestimate the randomness of the world. So this is a short one. One of the running stories in this book is she keeps seeing all the ways she died on other worlds and all the ways her life could have been different. And I think sometimes we get scared of how much in our life is determined by pure chance. 
like only humans could be the lucky one out of 250 million sperm and think we're in control. (laughs) (laughs) So I I started keeping a list of totally random things that completely changed the world. So I talked about some of it before, like the co-founder of Marvel had tickets to honeymoon on the Hindenburg (laughs) or George Orwell got shot through the neck, but survived. Another one is Queen Victoria survived eight assassination attempts, which don't, don't you think she must've been bad at her job? (laughs) Sort of that idea of if everyone in your life is a jerk, maybe you're the jerk. (laughs) I know that's the ultimate victim blame. (laughs) There was also this kid who saw another kid fall through the ice and he jumped in to save him. And now some people think the drowning kid was Hitler. (laughs) Oh, wow. And I don't know if that's true, but wouldn't that be the worst It's a Wonderful Life moment (laughs) where you wish you'd never been born and Clarence is like, oh yeah, this is way better. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, he he definitely still wouldn't have gotten his wings. (laughs) Anyway, this book kind of forces me to think about how my life would be hugely different with just very small tweaks. I don't remember if we've brought this up before, but one of those little changes to me um, is that I did a talent show for my first show, and I did way better than I should have just because it was this very supportive group of of people, oh, of friends. Nice. <laughs> uh, but then I bombed for my first several open mics after that, but it was still just that like that seed of delusion that I had gotten from that first show. Yeah, where I was like, but I still, I think I have something yeah and if i but if my first show had just been a normal open mic at you know a sports pub in san francisco and i bombed it would have been like well now i can scratch that off my bucket list i did it once Mm -hmm. you know oh man where do you think you'd be if that had happened dead (laughs) no i (laughs) and so a different kellen would be coming to this world to do bits <laughs> There's a different Kellen who's been canceled on another world who has to come here. <laughs> I would have been the, you know, that quote from Inception, an old man filled with regret. <laughs> Wait, I would have been an in Inception? <laughs> I love that idea. Like my grandma Vance gave me comedy books as a kid, and that really helped spark my interest in the field. And I'm fascinated by the idea that there's a world where she didn't, and you know, maybe I helped unlock nuclear fusion, <laughs> <laughs> giving cheap energy to all the world's poor. <laughs> I think the difference between you and me is that I always knew that I wanted to do something that had to do with writing and comedy, but I never had the confidence that I could ever do that as a profession. To be fair, I always planned that it would be my night job, because oh. <laughs> even eight-year-old Dave was a boring realist. <laughs> eight-year-old Dave read Lord of the Rings and was like, this is great, but I do want an IRA. <laughs> I would say I never thought I could make a living writing comedy until literally an ad agency approached me and was like, can we pay you a living to write comedy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lesson four, inject your personal background into a genre to make it fresh. And again, going along with my last point, fresh doesn't necessarily mean appealing, but something that... (laughs) That sounds like a disclaimer on Subway's logo. (laughs) 
<laughs> Something that I took away from this book is that you can plant your own flag within a genre if you can bring your own unique background into it. So J.K. Rowling comes from a culture of boarding schools. And while it seems like an obvious idea now, it was a new ingenious premise that there would be a boarding school for kids to learn magic at. Yeah. And she was, I think it's neat that she was able to fuse the idea of a boarding school into the fantasy genre and make a semi-successful book or two out of it. <laughs> Harper Lee brought her upbringing in small town Alabama and injected it into possibly the most famous novel of the courtroom genre of all time. Mm. So the author of this book, The Space Between Worlds, Micaiah Johnson, she grew up in a biracial family in the small desert town of Mojave, California, where the median income is $24,000. And she said that the, the seed of the idea for this book came when she thought of the image of someone walking alone in the desert and then coming across their own face in the sand. And so from, mm. from there, she then built a sci-fi world where a character has a chance to dig herself out of poverty with a job traversing between universes. And so, again, it still wasn't fun for me, but it is unique. (laughs) Uh, I think it's interesting coming up with a story from just this image. Like, what story do you think you would have come up with, Dave, if you would have thought of the image of seeing your own face in the desert sand? Hmm. The first thing that's coming to mind is that it sounds like I'm coming out of like an anthill, and now I'm picturing an anthill of Daves. <laughs> a Dave Hill. It's like a it's like a horror from a Salvador Dali painting. They all think they're the queen. <laughs> See, that's a book that I could get behind. <laughs> With my insecurities, I probably would have looked down and gasped and then thought, man, I do look fatter than I think I am. And I would have (laughs) kicked sand over the face and stopped drinking soda. Can someone help Kellen? (laughs) It would would be a short story. (laughs) On that subject of her personal background, I would add too, you never know exactly who your work is going to affect. So I just took N.K. Jemison's master class, and she's like a three-time Hugo Award winner. And she pointed out, you know, if Octavia Butler hadn't written sci-fi in this field that was basically all white guys, I probably wouldn't have ever written sci-fi either. Huh. So all this to say, it's it's like what I've said about Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland movie. Just because it's original doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Original sounds like the feedback you would give your friend on their manuscript when you don't want to hurt their feelings. <laughs> well, I've never read anything like this before. <laughs> it gets harder with depending on what the creative thing is. Imagine you're eating someone's secret recipe for a cupcake. You can't be like, mmm, tastes very original. <laughs> It tastes like something most people don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) All right, random facts. So the author, Micaiah Johnson, did this interview, and they asked what the hardest part of writing is. And she said, you know that news article about the horse who pretends to be dead every time it has to give someone a ride? That's me with editing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I find that so interesting because editing is one of my favorite parts about the creative process because it's where I get to erase all of the stuff that I don't like about myself. <laughs> <laughs> This universe is called Sad Kellen. <laughs> when I'm writing something comedic, I can't be around other people because so much of my writing process is just saying the same jokes over and over and gradually chipping away at them. Mm. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like my tongue finds faster ways to say the joke. I almost think of it as a river running over the same patch of ground until it's worn a groove. Oh, yeah. Which I think, I think the lead singer of Unknown Mortal Orchestra described writing a song that way where he's like... Every song has one true melody, and you just have to play with it until your instincts find it. Mm. In an interview, she was asked, what was the first fiction piece you remember writing? And she said, my grandma had an electric typewriter, and I definitely wrote a story where my dogs were detectives who had to solve a chicken's murder. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, could I read that story of yours? <laughs> And Dave is like, Haha, yeah, we both didn't like it. <laughs> so I thought this quote from the book was great. What they don't tell you about getting everything you've ever wanted is the cold sweat panic when you think about losing it. For someone who's never had anything to lose, it's like drowning all the time. Mm -hmm. One thing that Micaiah Johnson and I both have in common is that she graduated from high school when she was 13. Wow. And the one thing we don't have in common is that she finished college. <laughs> Another thing you have in common is neither one of you has written a book Kellen likes. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. And the deeper stab of that joke is that Dave knows that I have written a book. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that. <laughs> but it's still true. I think you've told me you've you, okay. You've told me you've written it, and you've told me it's bad. Mm. I really want to do it on this podcast. I think we should for our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another quote. We've talked before about the many social selves. How you kind of become different people when you're in, in different groups and settings. Mm -hmm. And she says, you can never know a single person fully, not even yourself. Even if you think you know yourself in your safe glass castle, you don't know yourself in the dirt. And it's chilling because I can be certain I would have resisted the Nazis if I lived in Germany while I'm in my warm home eating Captain Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Captain Phillips? Yeah. So I just had this really bizarre image of you eating Captain Crunch and then you start choking on the crunch berries. <laughs> and then the captain on the box is like, who's the captain now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Space Between Worlds. One, we love power reversals. That is hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> Two, interesting is subjective. Three, we probably underestimate the randomness of the world. Four, inject your personal background into a genre to make it fresh. And five, the first thing you should do when we discover parallel universes is to go to a version where you can listen to uh, this podcast, and I liked the book. Mm -hmm.